Um, I was born in seminary. And you might say, well, why is that a confession? Well, it's a confession because with the exception of one six-month period in my life, I don't know what it's like to not be in church on Sunday morning. And that six-month period was when we had moved to Alabama uh, to go to school. Julia and I had been dating for about a year or so and had prior to our dating decided it's where we wanted to go to school, so we even saw the Lord's hand in that. So uh, we were on our own. There were there were no parents, no family. It was just either we get up and go to church or we don't. And that fall, our first fall there, uh, we did not, for the most part, get, get up and go to church. It was kind of nice having the freedom. But there was something missing, and there was a void. And not too much time went by when we realized this this doesn't this doesn't feel right. This is there's something absent here. And so we made the commitment we're going to get involved in a church fellowship, and we did. And from that time, and that would have been fall of 1981 until today, uh, we've, for the most part, never not been gathering with God's people in a church somewhere on Sunday morning. So you may ask yourself, wow, that's, that's quite the track record. But it's really not, because that's what God calls us all to do. I've noticed something about Jamestown and kind of doing my homework when we moved into the community. You, you realize, of course, that our population is about 16,000, 15,000, 16,000, maybe a little more if you include some of the rounding region. Are, are you aware that on any given Sunday morning, I'm not talking church membership, I'm talking about bodies actually in pews or in chairs in churches on Sunday. Do you realize that the average attendance is about 2,000 people, give or take a few? You may think, really? But there's so many churches in town. Well, well, there are, but many of them are half full on Sunday morning. And they're half full, not necessarily because the membership is small, but because there seems to be this rotation it's one of the things Caleb and I have really grappled with in coming to Jamestown, that there seems to be a culture that we're in church when it's convenient, but when we want to leave and go do something or whatever, it's not convenient, and we're just not there, and we're absent. I want to challenge that mentality this morning, and I would go so far as to say is that as far as Buffalo City Church is concerned, our number one disciple-making priority, we talk about making disciples who make disciples, our, our number one priority in that process, not the only thing we do, but our number one priority in that process should be urging and encouraging each other to be, up, to be near each other, to be together, to be gathered in worship on Sunday. And that means that there's a burden of responsibility in all of us when you know someone and you see them absent, in other words, you don't see them on a Sunday morning, Make it a point to say, hey, is everything okay? We missed you last week. And watch them wiggle and squirm a little bit before you give them grace. No, I'm, I'm kidding. We don't want to, <laughs> this isn't a guilt trip thing, right? This feels really loud. Is this really loud? It's not? Okay. All right. Feels that way. Okay. It's all me. In order to come to a biblical understanding of why Christ followers are called to be faithful in worship, we need to consider three questions. What does it mean to live a life of worship? What does it mean to live a life of worship? 
What role does the worship gathering play in our lives? And what does it mean to be faithful in worship? And we're going to consider those three questions this morning. The first one being, what does it mean to live a life of worship? So in in this sense, living a life of worship, we have to move away from the notion that worship is an activity. Okay, a lot of times we think of worship, we think of what we just did, singing songs on Sunday morning, or, or maybe listening to music or having a quiet time or praying. But for, for this instance, let's challenge that notion a little bit. Let's say that worship is not an activity. Rather, it is a heaven-oriented attitude which influences and catalyzes all of the Christ's followers' activity. Now, think about that. Would you say that all of your activity, would I say that all of, all of my activity, everything that I do, it is influenced and catalyzed by a heavenward or Godward attitude. Well, no, of course not, because there are times that we all walk in the flesh and, and we allow our, our sinful, our fallen human nature to dominate, but, but this is what we aspire to, right? This is, this is our goal, that this is our trajectory, and it has to be our trajectory because if not, we're completely missing the boat of what it means to be Jesus' disciples. John Piper, uh, who many of you I'm sure know the name, he's someone I've held uh, a high regard for for a long time, for his views on the supremacy of God's word, his understanding of kingdom citizenship, and his perspective on worship. Listen to what he writes. The inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by Valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things, and then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from the lips and demonstrable acts of love in serving others for the sake of Christ. I, I, I think that summarizes this Godward attitude that I was just talking about. In a devotion back this past month, October 9th, he goes on to write, and the name of the devotion is, Our Good is God's Delight. There's some really important concepts here, so stay with me as I read this. First, some scripture, Jeremiah 32, verse 40, 41 says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant, that I will not turn away from doing good to them, And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. What a great word from the Lord. John Piper goes on to write, God's pursuit of praise from us, God's pursuit, God's pursuit of praise from us, and our pursuit of pleasure in him are one and the same. God's quest to be glorified and our quest to be satisfied reach their goal in this one experience, our delight in God, which overflows in praise. For God, praise is the sweet echo of his own excellence in the hearts of his people. For us, 
praises the summit of satisfaction that comes from living in fellowship with God. And I'm going to put here in parenthesis, without that Godward attitude which characterizes worship, we cannot live in fellowship with God. Why? Well, because our thoughts and our hearts and our minds are consumed with all kinds of earthly things. So important to understand that. The stunning implication, he goes on, the stunning implication of this discovery is that all the omnipotent energy that drives the heart of God to pursue his own glory also drives him to satisfy the hearts of those who seek their joy in him. I, I am astonished, astonished by the number of times I try to find joy in things other than my Heavenly Father. And I think if you were honest with yourself, you would be equally surprised by how much we look and search for things to bring us joy. And so many times the last place that we go is to his presence. Finally, he writes, the good news of the Bible is that God is not at all disinclined to satisfy the hearts of those who hope in him. Just the opposite. The very thing that can make us happiest is what God delights in with all his heart and with all his soul. With all his heart and with all his soul, God joins us in the pursuit of our everlasting joy because the consummation of that joy in him rebounds to the glory of God or resounds to the glory, rather, of his own infinite worth. Now, get this. The evil kingdom, the dark kingdom, which is very much present with us on this planet, understands how to wage war on humanity. The pull of sin, Satan, and the world on the flesh is one that we dare not underestimate. He writes, the very thing that can make us happiest, only will make us happiest as we resist the enemy because the natural, human, fallen, sinful nature does not delight in God. That's something that we fight for and we, we strive for, we pursue with everything that is in us. Second question. What role does the worship gathering play in our lives? So we're going to go through a lot of material here. Stay with me. For the Christ follower, the weekly worship gathering occupies a central role. It's why my wife and I, with the exception of those six months I mentioned back in 1981, have pretty much been present in a worship service any given Sunday. Been lots of different places throughout our life. Nonetheless, that's where we are. It is a priority, not because it is a duty that must be fulfilled, but because it is a joy that is anticipated and embraced. For this reason, when God's people gather for worship, they prepare an expectation with intentionality, consistency, and selflessness. With intentionality means that there's no such thing as neutral activity. All of our weekly activity will be carried out either in the light of the gospel or in the darkness of the world. There's no middle ground, guys. We must understand this. Coming to worship with intentionality enables us to sort through the week behind us and prepare for the week ahead as we create margin for the Lord to speak to our hearts. This is a rhetorical question. How many of you find yourself here this morning with a sense of, 
just barely getting here. Oh, and you should have been better this morning. I gained an hour last night. What on earth, right? Why is it that way? Well, see, that's that intentionality piece. Um, you, you know, we're, we encourage folks to come early. And it's not just about the delicious goodies that are down in the, in the foyer on Sunday morning, but because when you get here 10 or 15 minutes early, it really enables you to bring your heart and mind to a place where you can be expectant to receive what the Lord has for you. You come running in here at the last minute, and the team's already on the platform. They're already singing a song. For the first 10, 15 minutes, I mean, maybe you're playing catch-up. And then, in some cases, you never do. And you leave the service and, well, yay, I love the music this morning. And that's about all you can say. And maybe you remember a couple of points from the sermon. But, but that's not the intent of this gathering. Coming to worship with intentionality enables us to sort through the week behind us and prepare for the week ahead as we create margin for the Lord to speak to our hearts. We come with consistency. Consistency in our attendance to the worship gathering provides a spiritual anchor for our hearts. It is the rare individual who can remain aloof from the worship gathering and not experience some degree of spiritual drift. God designed the church in such a way that individuals, that's you and me, are part of one another, and as a body is incomplete without its parts, so we need each other. It's interesting, in localities where persecution is the greatest, in other words, it costs something to be associated with a body of believers. It might cost you your job. It might cost you your finances, your research. It might, in some cases, cost you your life. In those localities, this bond, the bond of believers, is often the strongest. In regions where there is little or no persecution, comfort and apathy often undermine and weaken this bond. So, church, where do we live? Persecution or comfort? Hello? Yeah, that should have been immediate comfort because that's what we Americans, that's what we strive for, right? Is to be comfortable and have all of our needs met and everything be good. I mean, that's like our, our prime directive. But that's not necessarily the best atmosphere for creating the type of biblical bonds that, that we read about in Scripture. Just be aware of that. And then with selflessness, and this can be the really hard one sometimes, because we live in a consumer-based society where success in life is measured by how much we are able to acquire and consume. Hopefully you know that and understand that. Entertainment and leisure are idolized, much sought after, through music, sports, video, social media, etc. The worship gathering, this, however, is based on the Philippians 2 principle. Here it is. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete by joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Wow. Holy smoke, Mark. What on earth did that mean? It just means this. God, the Son, emptied himself, became a man, dwelt among us. The ultimate humility, the ultimate humiliation, obedient to the point where he shed his blood on a cross. He didn't count that something to, to, to be worried about because he understood the end result, which was immeasurably more valuable than the sacrifice. That's what we need to understand. Everyone look at me for a minute. Everyone, I'm going to tell you what I tell my kids in Pheasanton. I want to see your eyes. Give me your eyes, please. Okay. So I say that a lot during the week because third graders can't do that very well. So I'm going to upset you from time to time, especially the more you know me. In fact, as I look around the room, there are people in this room, some of you know me pretty well. If I were to ask, Douglas, have I irritated you at times? There you go. Okay? And I'm not, dare not ask my wife because she knows me better. But, but that's what we do, right? That's why Psalm uh, whatever, 128, one of the psalmists talks about how blessed it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's, it's like oil pouring down Aaron's head. How many of you know that oil is, u- is used to lubricate, right? What happens if your car has no oil in it? You'll get about three blocks and the engine will burn up, okay? As the body of Christ, we need the oil of the Holy Spirit to kind of lubricate all these gears. Otherwise, we're in the flesh, and guess what? We'll irritate each other to a because we won't get each other. We won't understand each other. We'll make assumptions about each other. We'll live in presumptuousness, and we'll, we'll just we'll derail. It'll be a train wreck. You want to know why churches split? That's the reason. You want to know why people get angry and leave or get hurt and upset and never come back? That's the reason. Buffalo City Church, we've got to be bigger than that. We've got to be bigger than that. And we've got to keep our eyes on the one, the only one who can save us from those kind of scenarios. I wrote, from time to time, you'll encounter a message that doesn't quite resonate. In fact, right now, I might be irritating some of you at this very moment. I'm not going to apologize for it, but there you go. I bet it, but I ask your forgiveness for your, your feelings. Uh, whatever. Okay. A song you don't particularly care for. A person who rubs you the wrong way. A distraction that is irritating, the end, the list is endless. Right? We don't have to go very far, right, to point our finger at something that just, I, I don't, I like, it happened to me like four times this morning. And, and it's just like, well, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And, and, and then I just said, shut up, Mark. And that's what you have to do. You have to arrest those thoughts and you have to say, you know what? We're, 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 we're in the presence of Jehovah right now. We also gather in joy to encourage, worship, and this time I do mean worship the verb, and grow, to encourage. Hebrews 10, 19-25 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast 
the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what I said earlier about like, if you miss someone, they're not here, and you're like, oh, we missed you in worship, you dog. No, no, that's not it at all. It's, we, we missed you. You're important. When you're not there, something is missing. You bring something that only you can bring. If we start to live like that, you know what? People will start to believe it. The worship verb, Colossians 3, verses 15 through 17, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one another you were called to peace, and be thankful Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. We just did that. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. To worship, that's what it looks like. And we engage in it week after week after week. Finally, to grow. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. For from him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament. And it grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Sometimes I think that we keep ourselves distant, just honestly, because we're afraid. We're afraid that what we might bring isn't just isn't going to be good enough. Would you please let God determine that? Would you not stand in judgment of that and just bring who you are with whatever you have? And, and, and the Lord will work on your behalf to, to make it support and grow and build the body. That's a good place for an amen. I'm in North Dakota. Okay. During the worship gathering, at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, God's people are often given the opportunity to respond in obedience, immediately, gladly, and humbly. I want to unpack that a little bit. We are never, ever, ever just passive spectators as far as God is concerned. When we sit in this room, whether you're up here or you're out here, we are all performing a function together, and there's constant interaction that hopefully is taking place by the power of the Holy Spirit between ourselves and the Father as his word comes alive in our hearts through singing, through listening, through confession together. And, and that leads to obedience that we respond to in, these, in, this, scenario, in this situation immediately, gladly, and humbly. And I'll break that out. Immediately. When faced with a conviction we know is from the Holy Spirit, we must act immediately. To put off doing something you are certain the Lord is prompting you to do means risking disobedience in God's displeasure and missing out on the blessing God intends for you. Disobedience will eventually harden your heart to the Lord's voice and desensitize you to the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Not a good place to be. Gladly, grudging obedience has no place in the life of the believer. The Lord searches and knows the thoughts and intents of our hearts. His desire is a willing, tender spirit that responds in faith and gladness, ready to do the Master's bidding. 
His blessing follow those, follows rather those who obey with a whole heart. And of course, humbly, humility. A grudging, petulant attitude stems from selfishness and willful pride that God opposes. Those humble in spirit follow Christ's example and behavior and truly understand the importance of obedience. Our very life depends upon obedience to Christ's voice and God's word. Obedience is a key point in Scripture and a way of life for the disciple of Jesus Christ. Obedience enables us to walk in God's continuing, abiding presence. You want to experience God's presence in your life, become an obedient, willing, humble servant. And don't make excuses for the times that you're not. Just go to God and say, you know what? I messed up again. Forgive me. My desire is to know you and follow you and and live my life according to your will. That's the only way to maintain that. There are certain aspects of obedience which revolve around Christian character and are clearly mentioned in Scripture and shared by all believers. You can check some of those out in Romans 12. Other aspects of obedience are aimed at our individual unique circumstances and may not necessarily apply to others who share a similar circumstance. And what that means is, at any given time, when we're talking about nuance, for example, the Lord may have convicted me, convicted me, Mark, you need to lay off the caffeine because I want you to. It's not good for you. You need to stop. Now, I, I had coffee this morning. Okay, I'm just, this is an example, right? So I've made this decision, but then I come in and, and see my pastor sitting on the front row with, with caffeine. Am I going to go, you sinner? Well, no, because the Lord hasn't convicted Caleb of not drinking caffeine, right? I mean, that's, so, so what I'm saying is that when it comes to nuance, there are things in our own personal character that God may want to deal with. And in order for him to do that, we have to be obedient to those specifics. That doesn't mean that everyone around us has got to adhere to that because we're all created a little different, right? That's another good place for an amen. When our worship gatherings are characterized by expectation, joy, and obedience, we can be certain of the Lord's presence in our midst and his blessing on our time of fellowship. Such gatherings will attract those who are seeking a Savior, like a moth is attracted to a lamp at night. For there's nothing that this world can provide that they compare with the Lord's presence in the midst of his people. There's nothing like that. What's more, Christ's presence unites us when our worship gatherings are God-focused. And these, are, these are things that Caleb and I and, and Blaze and others, we, we've talked a lot about. These, we're very intentional about these things. So, so this is like breaking this core value down even further. So, so catch these. Christ's presence unites us when our worship gatherings are God-focused. We put a high priority on the vertical focus of our Sunday morning service. The ultimate aim is to experience God in such a way that he's glorified in our affections, those things that draw us. When our worship gatherings are prepared and expectant, we do not just direct ourselves toward him. We earnestly seek his drawing near according to the promise of James 4.8. We believe that in worship, God draws near to us in power and makes himself known and felt for our good and for salvation. 
of unbelievers in our midst. Saturated in Scripture, the content of our singing and praying and welcoming and preaching and poetry should always conform to the truth of Scripture. I really appreciated uh, Samantha, who led worship this morning, emailed me earlier this week. She said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this song. It's new. Um, I think the theology is okay. That means the, the content of the song it, consistent with Scripture. And, and I read it, and I said, yeah, I think it's fine. There was just one little change I suggested and left it up to her. And, and, uh, but, but that's really important because the truth is there's a lot of stuff out there that's just bad. There are songs in this hymnal. They're poor theology. It's, it's bad. It doesn't line up necessarily with the core of the truth in Scripture. There's a lot of contemporary music out there. There's just, I, I mean, I get the poetry of the song, but if we, if we go beneath the poetry and look at the theology, it's just error. It's wrong. And we have to guard ourselves against that. We spend a lot of time doing that. Um, more than that, the content of God's Word should be woven through all that we do in worship and will be the ground of all of our appeal to authority. So what that means is, like, I'm not standing here right now just giving you a, a bunch of my opinions, right? Uh, everything I'm saying to you is... I'm standing on the authority of Scripture, of the Word of God. And if myself or, or Caleb or Blaze or John ever occupy this place and we say something that is like doesn't ring true, you need to call us on it. And, and that's true of anywhere you ever end up on a, on a Sunday morning. And maybe calling us on it means that you take it to prayer and go, oh, I'm not sure I'm with that. doesn't necessarily mean getting in our faces after Sunday, what I hope it would do is you'd pray for us, and if the Lord leads you to talk to us, by all means. We make use of our intellect and emotions, okay? It's, it, it's, it's, it's not and or, but it's both. Intellect and emotions. The elements of our worship should aim at kindling and carrying deep, strong, real emotions toward God, especially joy, but should not manipulate people's emotions by failing to appeal to clear thinking about spiritually based things um, that are based on shareable evidences outside of ourselves. In other words, that we observe and understand and reason through and see how God is at work in our lives. That married with the flow of emotion is, is the fully orbed worship attitude, worship experience. In our worship, we work hard to be earnest and genuine. We'll try to avoid being trite, flippant, superficial or frivolous, but instead will aim to set an example of reverence and passion and wonder and brokenhearted joy. We want to be transparent. We utterly renounce all sham, deceit, hypocrisy, pretense, affectation, and posturing. We do not pursue the atmosphere of artistic or oratorical performance, but the atmosphere of a radically personal encounter with God and truth. That's why you'll, why you'll probably never see stage lights and smoke in one of our worship services, right? It's just not, it's not who we're trying to be. In our worship, we pursue the manifestation of God and the common good. We expect and hope and pray, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 7. For those of you that are taking notes, you can look those up later. That our focus on the manifesting of God is good for people and that a spirit of love for each other is not incompatible with but necessary to authentic worship. 
which is why Jesus said to his disciples, if you know someone has an offense against you, then leave your gift at the altar and go make peace with your brother. That, that unity, that's such an important thing. And, and as we grow close together and get to know each other, guys, there are going to be times when you're either aware that someone has something against you or you may be holding a grudge against someone. And there isn't a biblical imperative to make that right before you go before God. That's the way to hypocrisy. That's, that's really important. Sometimes we're not even, even aware of it, right? And the Holy Spirit has to kind of nudge our hearts and go, oh, oh, I need, to, I need to get with that person. That's one of those immediately obedient things. I mean, as soon as the worship service is over, the first opportunity, you go to that person, whatever it takes, and make it right and say, I'm really struggling with this, um, and, and it's hurt me. Would you help me understand what's going on? That person may not even realize that they've acted in a way to, to offend you or hurt you. Or it may be, uh, you know what, I think I messed up. And I think I've hurt your feelings. I think that I've caused you offense. I, I, I never want to do that. Can we talk? Can we get through this together? Can we talk about this and, and resolve this? We tend in the church to do the opposite, right? What we tend to do is dissociate ourselves from individuals when those kinds of situations take place. But, but that grows like a cancer in the church. And there's zero tolerance for that from the perspective of the Holy Spirit. So again, Buffalo City Church, I urge us to be bigger than that. Finally, we pursue excellence. We'll do our best to sing and play and pray and preach in such a way that people's attention will not be diverted from the substance by shoddy ministry, nor by excessive finesse, showmanship, or refinement. Natural, distraction-free excellence, excellence rather, will shape the atmosphere through which the truth and beauty of God's Word will shine. Now, I'm not saying that we get every single one of these right every week. These are principles that we aspire to. And, and it, my hope is that you see this week after week when you come, that we aspire to these principles. In our worship gatherings, as you've seen this very morning, we combine historic and current elements. No church or service can be all things to all people, which is why sometimes I say, we're going to treat you so many different ways, you're bound to like one of them, right? So <laughs> there you go. But... We will make use of a wide range of styles and expressions. This variety will awaken Godward affections differently in each of us. We recognize that the Holy Spirit, not the style. The Holy Spirit, not the style, is our standard of excellence and power. We will see God's guidance in each worship setting to be both comfortable and at times stretching. You should feel stretched from time to time. There should be a holy conviction that comes upon you from time to time. If you walk out of here unchanged week after week after week, something is disconnected somewhere. Because of our great love for Christ and our desire to see Buffalo City Church family grow in spiritual maturity, 
as I've said, we get, we, we plan our worship gatherings with great intentionality. It, it's a subject of ongoing conversation with Caleb and I, and what you will see from time to time is, oh, that's new. Oh, that's a little different. Haven't seen that before. Well, that's because the Lord has prompted something in our hearts. We pray about it. We talk about it. We implement it. And, and then we watch the Lord affirm that. Finally, the last question, what does it mean to be faithful in worship? Faithful in worship. The next statement is a hard statement. But, but I can tell you, as a guy who is now 57, born in seminary, parents were missionaries, pastors, been in ministry all my life, I, I can tell you that this statement is true. You might not like it, but it is true nonetheless. I believe this with all my heart. Faithfulness and participation in the weekly worship gathering is a sure indicator of the fervor for Christ which exists in the heart of the Christ follower. Are are you passionate about getting here and being part of this assembly of God's people one day a week? Or or is it, I can take it or leave it? That is a huge indicator of your fervor for the Lord. Well, why would you say that, Pastor Mark? Well, because Christ himself ordained the church. What we're giving you here in our core values, this is just something that we came up with that sounds good that hopefully will work. But we get this from the words of Christ and from the word of God. His intention is that we worship and fellowship together. So if if you, if you have any degree of fervor for Jesus Christ and for the message of the gospel, your inclination is going to be here. You're going to want to be here. If it's kind of take it or leave it, and if I'm not there, it's all good, you better check that. Seriously. Remember, sin, Satan, and the world plays on the flesh. In our natural fallen, sinful human state, it, we don't have it within ourselves to behave in this way. Sometimes it, it just is a commitment, and it's just, I'm going to do it out of obedience. Sometimes the goose flesh and the fuzzy feelings and whatever, they're not there. It could be that you've had a miserable week. It, it could be any number of circumstances. It could be that you just, you're feeling, you're in a season where you're just feeling dry. I, I just like, God, I think he's out there, but boy, I'm sure there's no sense of him. C.S. Lewis wrote in one of my favorite books of his, um, Screwtape Letters, he said, and this is a demon kind of coaching a nephew demon on how to derail humans, and he said, our cause, meaning Satan's cause, is never in more jeopardy when a child of God looking out into a universe in which all traces of God seem to have vanished puts his nose to the grindstone, feet on the floor, and keeps on going no matter what. That's when the enemy is most threatened. That's why he will do everything he can to talk you into disobedience, especially when it comes to this worship gathering. Worshiping Jesus together may be the single most thing we do as a body of Christ. It plays an indispensable role in rekindling our spiritual fire and keeping it burning. Corporate worship brings together God's word, 
prayer, and fellowship, and so makes for the greatest means of God's ongoing grace in the Christian life. But thinking of worship as simply a means can be dangerous. True worship is fundamentally an experience of the heart and the mind and not a means to something else. So it's important to distinguish between what benefits might motivate us to be regular in corporate worship and what focus our minds and hearts should pursue in the moment. According to Don Whitney, there's an element of worship and Christianity that cannot be experienced in private worship or by meeting or by watching worship, rather. There are some graces and blessings that God gives only in the meeting together uh, with other believers. And of course, as you can see, David Mathis is quoting Don Whitney from the book Spiritual Disciplines. And he goes on to write, Surely many more could be given, but here are five such graces and blessings that we experience uniquely in the context of corporate worship. So, so we see that being here together, kind of summarizing that phrase, means that there are things that God does in each of our heart, hearts and minds individually and collectively that just don't happen anywhere else and can't, which is another reason why we have to elevate this to a life priority if we claim to be Christ followers. A life ordered around worship is consistently oriented toward God. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Finally, Consistently meeting together as the body of Christ is a biblical imperative. We've said this. The corporate worship setting, that is the worship gathering, includes but is not limited to four important elements. Worship through song, reading of scripture, prayer, the preaching of God's word. This environment, this worship gathering, prompts a deeper relationship with God and fellow believers through the exaltation of Christ by the people of God. The local church as a microcosm of the universal church and a shadow of the consummated kingdom of God is the chosen medium through which God's people assemble together. As those who are called to not forsake the meeting together, the worship gathering is a crucial aspect of the Christian life that cannot be ignored. Regularly and consistently gathering in worship edifies, encourages, and builds up the church. Would you bow your heads with me, and we're going to take just a couple of minutes to reflect.